Hello, and welcome to the Marysville Journal Tribune podcast. This episode is brought to you by Axiona Energia, proudly bringing solar power to Union County and the Buckeye State. My name is Michael Williamson, and I'm here today with Managing Editor Chad Williamson, Kayleen Petrovia, reporter, Media Director of the Union County Humane Society, Audra Matson. I'm Tim Cohen. I'm the executive director. All right. On this week's episode, we have Audra and Tim in from the Union County Humane Society. Uh, People are probably generally familiar with what the Humane Society is, what it might do, um, but we figured we'd bring these guys in and have a conversation about that, exactly what they do, uh, what programs are available, and kind of how people can get involved and, uh, you know, participate in the the process. So where do you guys want to begin? Yeah, I guess um, we've all seen the really cute photos of dogs and cats. And I think for a lot of us, that's what we get from the Humane Society. So I'd just be curious to know from you guys kind of what it is that you all do at the Humane Society, maybe what a day-to-day day might look like for you all working there. Every day is kind of different. Um, We always joke about how you can plan your entire day and it's not going to go the way you expect. Working with animals is everything is always changing. Um, so we kind of start out by like feeding the, the dogs and the cats, making sure everyone who needs medication gets medication. Um, dogs who are potty trained get out to the yard. Um, and then we tried to do some enrichment with them. We actually have a couple um, employees who focus on that side of it and try to make sure that their the animals are well socialized and we know a little bit more about their um, personalities through doing that. And then On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays from 1 to 5, we have open hours where the public can come in and hang out in the cat room or meet dogs and um, adopt them if they fall in love with them and take them home. How many people? How many people does it take to kind of go through and do all that kind of stuff? Well, uh, so as a team right now, we've got – we have Audra. We also have – and Audra helps with our adoptions. We have a uh, vet tech, Amy Bray, who also uh, helps with adoptions. Uh, Dr. Melissa Shardy uh, is our vet, uh, and we have two uh, techs that focus on behavior and making sure that the environment stays clean and stuff like that. We're also – I will tell you, we have – Uh, People come and do community service from West Central every day, 365 days a year, and they're a tremendous They're right there, too, right? Yeah, they're right there. So that's, wow, that works out well. Yeah, it really does. It's a win for them and us and the animals. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just has been a great uh, relationship. And then we have a a really great group of volunteers, and uh, we are going to – I guess re-kickoff would be the best word of our volunteer program in late February. So keep watching Facebook for that. And uh, so, so yes, we get a lot of help. We can't do it without help. We're a 501c3. A lot of times people think that we're a, a government agency. We are not. We're wholly dependent on the help of others. So all those people we just listed, we're super grateful for. Couldn't do it without So there's no, there's no governmental funding coming in at all, despite Union County Humane Society. It's not a county there's not any input from the county government at all right. in terms of money. Right. Yeah, there's no we, yeah, we don't have any official connection. We have a contract with the county to take in strays, but that's that's dealt we're dealt with as a as a private vendor. So what what are some of the fundraisers? Where do you guys come through all the money? I mean, you do have adoption fees and things like that, but like I think people don't realize like how hard you have to work just to get the money kind of to operate. Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely a, a full-time job to try to make and help people uh, be aware of the kinds of things that we're working on. We do have the contract uh, that we just talked about. We have standard recurring um, events that we do. Um, Pins for Paws is coming up on... February 18th. February 18th, <laughs> that's right. And we have a gala every year. Um, so we have several recurring uh, events that we do. We have the dog wash uh, in August, um, but we're doing ongoing campaigns. We're on the tail end of, um, of kennel sponsorship and cat room sponsorship. So if people are interested in that, we keep a sign. Uh, you'll get special mention on our uh, website page. So we have a variety of places. We really, if anybody's sitting around saying, gosh, I'll give them $20, I would ask you to please consider becoming a recurring donor and give us five bucks a month, a dollar a month. Any Anything in, that allows us to plan is a game changer for us. One-time generous gifts are obviously, you know, really, really appreciated. Uh, they're just, they're not as, in, it's it's harder for us to plan. Sure. Any giving is appreciated. I don't want to squelch any giving, mm-hmm. but yeah. that's, that's yeah, really where it gets tough. I see a lot in uh, obituaries and things that mm-hmm. people make their, 
make donations to the, the Humane Society. Yeah, we're so grateful yeah. for that. We, we actually just had someone um, make a donation in honor of their friend who adopted their cat from the Humane Society, and they sent us a copy of their obituary with the cat's name mentioned in there and highlighted it for us so we could see. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm always really impressed and intrigued by just the different events throughout the community I see you all doing. I know you said you have some of those kind of regular annual things, but I feel like I've seen things like puppies visiting at walking distance or events with Crooked Door. How do you guys come up with some of those maybe one-time, more creative fundraisers where you're trying to reach out to maybe a segment of the community that you aren't already hitting? I, I think I just... Phenomenal question because we talk about that sort of stuff all the time. You know, one of our goals in 24 is to really get more integrated into county services and find more partnerships. So the thing you mentioned at the uh, at the brewery and stuff like that, we love doing stuff like that. It's so fun to do adoption uh, events, and we do several of them. But the, um, but yeah, we just brainstorm and we pick up the phone and call. And and oftentimes too, we have community members that are excited and they come to us with ideas and we love those and love being part of them. So. And you take the animals out to that and let oh, people yeah. Come see them. And, oh yeah, yeah. About- we go to schools and things like that mm-hmm. too. And yeah, there's nothing nothing better than disrupting an entire school with a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> we actually recently got a call from a mom who's. I believe daughter wanted to have her birthday party at the Humane Society, so that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It'll be our first birthday party there. Yeah. So that oh seems gosh. like a good idea, honestly. Like playing around, playing with puppies, like that seems like that would be a, kind of a no brainer. That maybe mm-hmm. should have been part of the uh, part of the arsenal all along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. I might do that for my next birthday. (laughs) I know, and it's always so sweet. You'll see, like, photos of little kids with the stacks of paper towels or dog food or whatever. Like, for their birthday party, they had their friends bring over donations to the Humane Society. Like, seeing little kids even feeling really moved by the mission is pretty cool. It is. I'm telling you, we we make a big to-do over those kids, and we we don't make a big to-do because we think we should make a big to-do. We make a big to-do because it is just so joyous to see them come in and to be so... Oh, we had... we. Audrey and I were the only two there one day, and up pulls a retirement bus, and we're like, what? And out prattles, oh my gosh, I don't know, eight or ten folks, mm-hmm. and all of them, well, I, I don't want to do anybody disrespect, but they were all in the fourth quarter of uh, their lives, and so sweet, and we had the best time. So we got out dogs, we got out a big giant Rottweiler, and we got out little teeny puppies, and, and they had foregone their bingo money and had gotten us you know, certain things on our wish list. And it was just so fun to see you didn't, people. You didn't know they were coming? We didn't know they were coming, no. <laughs> and they had been working on it. And a lot of times that'll happen. People will be like, oh, my kid did this lemonade stand, yeah. and can we come? Of course, we're like, yes, we'd love to get the picture and celebrate them and, and take the gift. And, and it, you know, to say the amount doesn't matter is honestly, it's, it really is true. Seeing people sacrifice for the stuff we're doing is always really meaningful. What are some of those things that you guys need, those supplies and things like that that you guys rely on from donations and things that maybe people don't associate? I mean, I think people understand you go through, you know, dog and cat food and maybe some other things, but what are some of those kind of expenses for supplies that maybe people don't realize, you know, how much of the... I think I've seen before you guys need just towels and things like that that, that you guys need to operate. Yeah, paper towels. <laughs> we have a never-ending need for paper towels. There's lots of piddling uh, around the office, <laughs> as you might imagine. So that's, a, that's an ongoing need. We actually are set up currently for blankets and towels. It's a rare thing for us to be able to say that, but we really are set up there. But um, certainly cleaning supplies, a martingale collars that have an independent clip for those that you that nerd out on collars those are the kind of we like martingales with clips um leashes we try to leashes, send every yes. dog that gets adopted from the shelter home with a collar and a leash um so that they're set up because not everyone who comes to adopt has one ready to go so we try to make sure they're set up for success that way yeah yeah, the community's awesome. If we put something out there and say we have, you know, we're low on X, I mean, we almost always have it by the next day. And we're, I mean, that's just so, it's amazing. It's this a really amazing community. And like, what's the volume you guys deal with? What are you guys set up for to handle numbers wise for dogs and cats and, and everything? Yeah, we rough, uh, an average year would be between 800 and 1,000 animals coming in and out. Um, we have set um, this year, 
Uh, it's called capacity for care. So we've set those numbers, meaning we're not going to go above or below, or we don't we don't need to worry about going below them. There's always animals <laughs> in need, but we're a, we're a, a, an organization. Shelters have different kinds of intake rules. We're called managed intake, which means we're not required to take every animal. We want to take every animal, but uh, you, the, the greater care that you can give humanely is allowing a limited number that you can take care of appropriately. You make them more adoptable. They're more intellectually and emotionally prepared to be in a home. And so a lot of times people will be uh, – they won't understand – if we can't take their dog or cat, but the fact is we'll become the crazy cat lady if we do. We get over capacity and then we can't care for them and then everybody suffers. The animals don't become adoptable. They become stressed. Our numbers become overloaded. Uh, we can have medical issues that get introduced when you have too many animals in there. So keeping that capacity for care number in mind, uh, we believe, and numbers will, you know, hopefully we can come back and talk to you guys again and we can talk about this more community-based model that we're working from right now and hopefully we will see those numbers improve. But a lot of that has to do with containing those numbers. So generally we do about a thousand a year so we would be a small we would be considered a small at any one time maybe what how many might be in the facility if like what do you guys set up for at any one time kind of to handle yeah under our care there could uh, probably on average 75 animals if you think about fosters as well as who we're keeping so anytime a, uh, we get a, a pregnant mama of any variety we try to get them out to foster before this puppies or kittens are born just because it's just safer for them it's just you know you can control disease and pathogens and stuff better at a foster's home but i think that's fair 75 yeah. i think with the with the fosters and how do the fosters work maybe walk us through like how do people do that what do they need to know and like how does that whole relationship work with those yeah fosters are super powered uh, volunteers because they are actually caring for at home uh, the emotional and intellectual and physical needs of the animal. We still retain ownership during that um, time, and the benefit of that for our fosters uh, is we'll cover medical bills, and if there's challenges behaviorally, and it's easier to return the animal if you want to. And so we, we really want to have a very um, accepting vision of fostering. So if you're curious about a pet, we know that's a 10 to 15 to 20-year commitment. And if you want to take them home for the weekend, take them home. Because even if it's not a fit for you, um, uh, we want it to be a fit. We want it to be f for the family and we want it to be for the animal as well. So so definitely take them home for a couple days and see how they fit with your family. And, you know, animals take days, weeks, months to decompress. But, we you know, we know their cortisol is going to go down if they get a couple days away. So some of the fosters are people that kind of want to, I hate to say it, like test drive, but they do want to kind of see how the animal works in their family. I guess I thought sometimes they would be people that you had an ongoing relationship with where they were almost like overflow for you guys, and you could always rely on these 10 people maybe to help you out if you needed to foster one. I guess I thought that's what the foster kind of system you guys had was. Yeah, I mean, that is, that. yeah, that is in, in intent. We, we have both of those things happening, and it's actually more, I'm glad you asked that, that's more the latter of what happens. We do want to have that. And, and, uh, and I don't even know that it's really overflow as much as it is you might get a specialty. You get neonatal kittens. Well, we need somebody like Lori. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, people that really understand some of the special needs that we get. Um, you get a high number of puppies or a special breed of puppy. Or, you know, right now we have a bull terrier that takes special attention. So we need to get somebody that understands that breed. So a lot of times we will have a foster because they bring us special knowledge or, you know, that kind of thing. And I know when you were talking about the foster system, you talked about really making sure that an animal is a match for the family that they're going to go live with. I know with your guys' adoption policy, it's not necessarily, I want this dog, I'm coming in and taking this dog, or at least it doesn't seem that way. It's more of you helping figure out what the dog or what dog is perfect for them. So I'd love to know a little bit more about how the adoption process works is it kind of like matchmaking that you guys are doing or yeah. how do you fit into the process um so we start everyone off by filling out a, an application on our website 
Um, they can fill it out for a specific animal or just a generic one, whatever they think. We'll go through that. And if they have other pets, but they have applied for a dog that maybe doesn't like other dogs, um, we can say, hey, this dog might not work, but we have these other ones that possibly could. Are you interested in setting up a time to come and meet them? And if they are, we ask them to bring, if they have dogs, bring their dogs with them so that the dogs can meet, make sure everyone gets along because we don't want to get them home and, you know, things don't go well. Um, we don't want anyone to get hurt. So we do everything on site, make sure that works out. Um, and they can spend time with the dog, walk the dog. Um, they can go home and think about it. They can take them home to foster them or if they want to adopt them right then, that's totally fine too. Um, so it just kind of depends on the situation, but we try to use our knowledge about the animals that we have in our care and the knowledge that they have given us about their animals to try and see who would be compatible. And like if we have, for um, example, a really hyper Australian shepherd, they're probably not going to do well in an apartment. So we try to find maybe someone who has an acre fenced in where they can run and get some of that energy out so that their person is not spent um, doesn't spend all of their time walking them <laughs> and trying to get that energy out. Um, so just little things like that to, mm-hmm. to see, you know, if they would do well in that situation. Does that all come from when the animal comes in, if you you know kind of their the situation when they were brought to you? I, I see things like uh, doesn't isn't right for a family with small children or doesn't like cats. And is that where you guys get all that information is? kind of the situation where they get turned over from? Sometimes it is. Um, and then we do get a lot of strays, so we won't know that coming in. So if someone, we have cats that free roam around our facility that just live there. So if they, if we see that a dog doesn't like that cat, they're probably not going to do well in a home with cats. So we'll let people know that. Um, and sometimes if they're not good with kids, it's not necessarily they're going to hurt the kid. Sometimes they're just super strong and we don't want them to knock them over and, you know, It'd be like sure. they're bowling all the time with the kid, and nobody wants that. So, um, some of times it's just things we see in the shelter as well. Yeah, I'd also be curious, kind of along those lines. I know when you guys post online about your animals, you have sort of like a little profile about them. Oh, she's really sweet and loves tummy rubs, or this animal really wants to go outside and run. How do you kind of build that profile if you're intaking all of these animals? Some are strays, some have come from different situations how do you learn about the dog or cat to inform people who are interested in bringing them home um I think we're really lucky where we get to spend a decent amount of time with the animals and we have a lot of volunteers who spend time with them and they'll tell us things that they see or they'll they'll see like we have a volunteer who comes in and lets the dogs run along the fence together and he'll be like come look at this and we we can see like how their behaviors are Mm -hmm. um with the other dogs so we'll try to include little things like that or um we have a dog named Chip who we let him out in the lobby and he likes to hang out in the chair up front. So we've mentioned that, how he needs a comfortable chair to go home to. Um, he's, an old, he's an old guy, so I'm, I'm with him on that comfy chair. Well, that stuff works. I mean, it, giving him personality like that, I I mean, I think a lot of shelters do that now. And that's that's clearly a thing that works. Like it, it, gets, it gets eyes on it. It gets attention on it. And it, it also lets you remember. You know what I mean? It, it kind of burns that animal into people's minds I think and it's a that's a what 15 year last 15 years 10 or 15 years that that's been kind of the thing that's actually a really interesting kind of tool I've seen you guys use that's a yeah I yeah I do think 15 years ago was kind of the mark that a lot of this no-kill movement has has really started to help recognize uh, who we care for as individuals we think of them as individuals and so you talk about how do we see these things we see them just because we we love them and we interact with them and so it it presents itself you know chip being in the chair chip told us he liked the chair you know so he's going to get into the chair or kaiser liking squeaky toys or whatever those are all things that they tell us and we just celebrate whatever it is that they happen what they happen to love so but yeah writing it up in a way you will oftentimes see well-intended shelters where you'll get the same descriptor every time like Mm -hmm. is shy or is active and then you get the same paragraph after it and it might be a well-written paragraph but I kind of zone out, you know, I'll, I'll, I spend my evenings looking at dogs and cats too. Because that's just what I love. Right. So, but a lot of times you'll see those descriptions. So we do want to give, even if it's short, that it's real about who the dog is. And we also want to be, you know, upfront about where the challenges of a pet might be, because it's a relationship, you know, the number of times that people will take a pet home and then be disappointed because 
you know, they didn't realize it was going to have to be work. Well, it's a relationship, so it's going to be work. And so we want to be transparent about this is what's great, but you might want to be ready because this animal has stress or is nervous or is afraid or, you know, whatever the things are about them so that they've got a full picture. But you're right about just kind of feeling like, even if you don't adopt the animal, you feel like, I know we've followed certain ones to see if they've gotten adopted. You know, ones we've seen either you put through or we went out there and took a picture last year and we checked on some of the animals to see if they had been adopted. We had the two old, what Matilda was the one I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, was we would Bo go there. I think both. Yes. They had, yeah. Yeah, there were the two of them guys yeah. up front behind the yep. desk. Yes. Yeah. When we saw him get adopted, we yes. were like, yes, yes <laughs> that was the oldest one. So it, it has that too. I think I've seen ones where like you're saying it's a volume game. It's just, it's pictures and, Six words, yeah, and it's you're not going to go back and check on those animals, but when you give them a name and a cute little story, like if it connects with you, you go back and check, and maybe you see something else that another animal you want to take home. So that's a that's a really interesting kind of. It's almost it brings you back to the site, yeah, to check and yeah, yeah. Well, along those lines, shout out to. Uh, the folks that fostered Mila over the holidays. We did a home for the holidays thing. We were trying to get as many out. And it really wasn't, let's try to do what we would call in our industry a foster fail. Like, let's get them out and let's see who gets a dog. We really just wanted to get them out and give them a break. And obviously, if somebody fell in love, that'd be great. But our, our intention was to just get them out. And so Mila, who had been a very long-term uh, dog for us, really lovely, but big and playful and a pit and so those those things kind of tend to work against you sometimes but just an absolutely awesome dog and she went home for the holidays and we posted a picture and somebody else fell in love with that picture and like exactly what you guys are saying followed along and fell in love with Mila and now she's in a great home and how often I know you mentioned the woman who adopted the cat of the woman who'd passed away and kind of sent you guys a little note do you guys get to keep up with some of the animals that have been adopted? I I can't imagine being in your guys' position because I feel like I'd want to take every single animal home with me. Tell, tell them what's so, happening tomorrow. Um, so last year we had a dog who had spent 17 months with us. Um, and we had the news come in and they did a story on her and somebody saw her on the TV. They adopted her that day and tomorrow she is coming in for a visit and I'm so excited, (laughs) but I always tell people to send us updates and photos. I want to know how they're doing and, and see them and how happy they are in their new home. We do. We, yeah. So short answer is yes. We (laughs) love following. We love when people bring back for visits and bring, send us pictures. And so we just, we love it. It's yeah. It's all we talk about, honestly. (laughs) It's our celebration. What are some of the things, unfortunately, that, that lead to an animal being there 17 months or making them difficult to adopt out or just not catching the eyeballs or, or, you know, connecting with people? What, what are some of those? I know you've got some with special needs, or I guess I never really thought about the size of the animal or activity needs and things. What are some of the things that can make animals a little more difficult than others to adopt? In Ashley's case specifically, she didn't like other dogs or cats, um, and a lot of people who come to the shelter have other pets, so that makes it hard for them to find a home. So we just happened to find someone who didn't have any other animals, so that's something that works against us a lot. Um, some people stray away from certain breeds, sizes, um, activity levels. Sometimes we'll have animals that like to jump fences or dig under things, and we try to be upfront about that to make sure that you know, th- those people are set up for that dog. Um, so it just kind of depends. There's all different things. Each dog is an individual, and each one has little quirks about them, and we try to figure those out ahead of time so that we know. <laughs> yeah, we have recently started – trying to hit a plan on a dog or a, or a cat when it uh, when it actually lands in our facility. So somebody like Chip, who we've mentioned now a couple times, he's older, he's black, he's big, and he's a pit. And all those things together are things that aren't highly adoptable. So, so when somebody like Chip 
uh, comes uh, to us. Or um, I'm trying to think of a couple other. I could come up with a couple others. But as soon as they hit, we start talking about what are we going to do for these guys. We got a couple dogs in, and they're uh, if people know the the breed of a lurcher, which is like a greyhound. And so we've started a plan trying to take care of this these lurchers early on so that they don't degrade in the kennels. Some breeds just really don't do well in the kennels. Or if you get a cat that's super highly stressed and needs to be in a home alone, well, as soon as that cat hits us. So the 17 months we had with Ashley, I don't think we've replicated that since we've started this pre-planning work to try to get them out. So 30 days is a we're, we're all all hands on deck if we reach 30 days. That's really hard. That's the long. Is, that's 30 days is a long stay. 30 days is going to be a long stay yeah, for us right now. Good. I'm trying to think who our longest stay person. We probably have a two monther in there. I think right now, but so other than the 17, two months is the longest. Currently, that seems pretty good, honestly, to yeah, me. I would have good. thought multiple months was kind of the norm. Well, I mean, we do have them. I'm, 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 I'm speaking a little bit aspirationally, but I mean, of our of the crew we have in right now, I don't think we've had anybody uh, that long. So, yeah, it's the kennel. I mean, we love them. We play with them. We, I mean, I, I can't tell you all the things that we do to try to make their lives lovely but it's it's a kennel and they're social animals and they're isolated because they have to be for their health and so shelter life is is not a life you want and and communal cat rooms work for some cats and they don't work for other cats so um as much as we love them we want to we want to get them out i know kayleen knows for that you guys had the uh, aussies come in yes (laughs) and i would imagine you know like you said puppies are kind of have their special challenges when they're little and and things like that but I would imagine you are not going to have many troubles if they're even still there, you know, getting those Aussies out the door or puppies of really any kind because pretty much all puppies are cute and people like puppies. Yes. The way people like babies. Right. But what about the older dogs? What about a dog that has lived with somebody and all of a sudden their owner dies and the dog's 13 or 14 years old? How do you guys convince somebody, hey, this animal's worth taking in, even though it might break your heart in three or four years when the animal itself dies. Like that seems like a hard sell to me. It is. I mean, it is a hard sell, but of course they're as deserving of love regardless of age, just like the people that own them uh, are as well. So yeah, it is a challenge because the opportunity for illness is mm-hmm. going to be greater. So vet bills enter people's minds, the, you know, getting attached and having to say goodbye enters people's minds. And so I think the majority of luck that we have is through word of mouth. People in the community will get behind some of these animals and help champion them and share them on social media. Our volunteer network is big uh, for that as well. But yeah, it's absolutely a challenge. We have a guy right now uh, that we've named Paul Paul, and he's He's a big, broad-backed, blind, happy as a pig in slop. He's the sweetest guy, but I'm sure he's 15, 16 yeah. years old and completely white and can't see anything. And he's, I'm telling you, if you want somebody that just stands around happy and wants to eat lunch meat when it hits the floor, then Paul Paul is your dude. Do you have anybody that helps out in that regard? I, I talked to a person that worked at a vet hospital in the Powell area one time that she kind of felt that was her calling is to help old, the older animals they would have um, because that hospital did some fostering and things too and that would take in older animals felt just really felt every animal at the end of their life especially deserved to be in a home and not a kennel do you have anybody that kind of people that kind of reoccur that kind of help you out in regards to those things or anything like that well i can tell you hospets here in in uh, in union county is a really unique entity and what a blessing uh, for elderly folks with elderly pets. And I mean, they don't work for us, obviously, but we feel very blessed to know them and know the, the work uh, that they're doing. So I would say of the listenership, if somebody out there has a soft spot for older dogs, come and find us and and we can uh, and we would welcome the help. So yeah, it, it is a challenge. Absolutely. We do try to take them out into the public like um, to dog-friendly businesses so people can see them and how they act in a real-life setting, and I think that helps as well. I know I ha- he wasn't an older dog, but he's a dog with some um, back leg weakness, and I took him out, and everyone fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. So things like that even do a, a lot for those animals, and people fall in love and want to take them home regardless of age sometimes. I know you mentioned um, 
kind of word of mouth is the key there. How often do you guys have someone come from out of town or out of county that has seen one of your dogs or cats that kind of just fell in love based on people sharing this information? Is it more often that you have local people adopting from you or do you sometimes get some out of town people too? Um, we had someone come, I think, from the Cleveland area to meet a dog that he fell in love with online. Um, it, it happens a lot. We get a lot of applications from out of state. Um, we actually, for the Aussie pups, we got one from California oh um, that applied for them. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it happens pretty often. Most of our adopters are local, but um, we have had people from Kentucky and Indiana adopt from us even recently. Wow. You've mentioned several times veterinarians and veterinary care and special needs animals and things like that. How do you, how do you cover those? I mean, I, that's got to be a huge expense. Do you have any kind of veterinarians that help you? And I'm not saying that they do it for free, but kind of work with you. Or how does that? How do you kind of equate that and make that all work and balance the budget in terms of that major expense? Yeah, it is a major expense. Um, well, I mean, the, the part-time vet we have, I, I mentioned Dr. Sardi, and she has her own practice as well. She gives us um, two days a week, which is, uh, I think, what's been the norm at the shelter for many, many years. So we have that sort of how do you keep the health going. But, you know, spay-neuter needs are big, TNR, tra- trap-neuter return programs. Uh, you know, people are anxious to uh, have those supported. We don't currently have the ability to support those right now, um, but we have had help from the large animal hospital, OSU large animal hospital here in uh, town. Dr. Gordon has been very uh, generous with us. Uh, Columbus Humane uh, down in Hilliard uh, has been very helpful to us in our spay uh, neuter work. We um, we lean on uh, Delaware often for advice, uh, medical protocols, things like that. Dr. Jothi Robertson has helped us with some of those uh, as well. So we're uh, we ask a lot, and we got, we have a lot of people that have been kind in return. But it's uh, to to have that large animal hospital here in Union County. Yeah, that's have a good. I forgot about that. That's right there yeah, by right you guys also. Too. Yeah, and we had a dog get hit. Um, and they did the surgery within, I think, 72 hours, saved the dog's life, and uh, and did it for us in the most. Ec- and they every time they help us, they do it in the most economically helpful way uh, that they can. So yeah, we're very very grateful. And what about other shelters? You've mentioned several other shelters right there. What kind of relationship do you guys have with other shelters? I don't I don't know how often you guys get at capacity or other shelters, but. Do you kind of try to help with overflow and things like that? Or what kind of, uh, I guess, programming or anything like that do you guys share with other facilities like that in the area? Yeah, we do have several relationships. We want to have more relationships, uh, particularly with rescues when we get more purebreds that might be particular in either times of health problems or you know those kinds of things so we do want as many relationships as we can and we have them like i said with delaware we have them with toledo we've have them in cincinnati um one of the really completely lovely things about this industry is is people aren't sitting around holding trade secrets you know nobody's saying i found a better way to do it so i'm not going to tell you we all help each other we all share information we all will go, well here's this file here's this checklist here's this protocol have you watched this podcast i mean it is just it's a constant um i don't know the industry is completely and totally lovely and i'm very grateful to be uh to be part of it because i haven't i haven't run into a shelter yet that has not wanted to help or that we have you know and where we can do it we we want to help too you talk about, I don't know if that's what you meant by the kind of breed specific things when you bring them in sometimes. Is that uh, an issue of kind of puppy mill kind of ideas? Is that, a, is that an arena you guys fall into helping, helping when some of those get animals get taken in from situations like that, huge volume operations? Do you guys help out with things like that or is that? Yeah, so one of our duties is we do oversee the humane agent for the county. So they report up. Uh, through us. So if there are issues of puppy mills or, you know, and farm animals, I mean, as well, any domesticated animal falls under our, uh, we have a couple different codes that we're able to enforce in terms of humane action towards those uh, animals. So, so I would say the humane agent is probably the way we handle most of those things. And we will have, you know, we have, we have got a few labs uh, at one point and, and the 
one of the sheriffs noted to us that it could have been a puppy mill from another county, that it's more economical for people that are electing to do something unscrupulous like that rather than to put the dogs down. They'll just put them in a van, drive them to another county, open the door and drive away. So sometimes we'll just get like, where did you get three or four German Shepherds? Where did you get four you know, St. Mm. Bernard's, or where did you get? Well, we don't always know, mm. um, but we suspect those are often the cases. But if people think there's puppy mills, and and if you, you know, you see anything that you think is inhumane, it, you're way better off to be wrong and embarrassed. You know, go online, go on our site, fill out a form, give us a call if you have concerns about um, animals being treated inhumanely. And, and we, we are held by standards of the law, but we, we are very aggressive when we believe there's abuse. We do try to differentiate between neglect and abuse, and it is our first um, desire to problem solve, to go out and educate and assume that people just don't know. We would rather operate from that, but... If we do find proof that they're abusive, then we will get very aggressive. It seems like you sometimes you come in situations where it doesn't look like the person intentionally ended up with 25 cats or something like that. They just, they truly did love animals and they didn't know how to say no. Or like I know we've seen police reports sometimes where people go, they go into a home and there will be this situation yeah, I know my family dog, she's like 14 or 15 now, but when we got her, it was police had to take dogs from a home. It was like a one-bedroom apartment with dozens of dogs there, and it wasn't a person trying to harm the dogs, but the dogs weren't living a good life because of that. So I think yeah. situations like that. Yeah, we see that sometimes with the police. What is that? Maybe talk a little bit about the humane agent and exactly kind of what they do and, and how you work with, with that position and what that entails. Because you've got a new one, is that yes. right? Fairly new one. Yeah, yeah. Tony Hargrove is our humane agent, um, and uh, I think he started ooh, January. Did he start January? Did he start before that? December? I don't know. It's been about a month. Oh, it feels like <laughs> feels like it's been forever since. And Tony's he took been in here. a couple big dogs too, didn't he? Didn't I see where he took in a couple of? He, yeah. came, he so, adopted a couple of big dogs or St. something. St. Bernard's. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes, he's got, he brings the girls to work and they're completely insane and we love them. Um, but he came in actually for a Roddy. He fell in love with these two uh, St. Bernard's and, and then we hired him. So that's the risk <laughs> That's the risk that you have if you come in. But Tony is retired police and tired, retired military and so he's got uh, the knowledge to... Uh, to enforce the code, but you talked about how we interact with them. He 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 reports to me, and and we sit down and we review cases as they're brought forward, and we figure out. And like I said, we start first with could this have been neglect? Is there an education opportunity here? If we present that education, are people hungry for it? And you'd be surprised the number of times that things that might feel second nature to us in terms of humane treatment isn't always second nature. And like sometimes what, you, like what are some of the things maybe like, uh, like a bucket of water for a head of cattle is not enough. Hmm. And, you know, so Ohio ag, which, and you know, they can come in and they can say this needs to be two foot deep. It needs to refresh at this rate. They can put the science behind it, help them understand. And you can get somebody that maybe had learned from their dad and their granddad and hadn't really gotten the sophistication of understanding the real needs and you educate them about it and they go off and do it and and life gets better those are really you know those are the best case scenarios but sometimes you know you do get those cases as well where people think they know better and want to rob the humanity from an animal and so that's where we have to go in and and either claim the animal or or prosecute the person and so and we have you know there's a expected escalation to that uh to those efforts so so we'll follow those steps as needed does that answer your question i feel like i just started rambling kind of no that's (laughs) no no, that's fine that's and that's what the agent does they will go out and kind of uh do a drop in and, and start talking to the person and i mean it's it's not a law enforcement position but it's almost like a social worker for animals kind of where they they kind of do investigate the situation and then 
go from there or how does yeah he is actually a law enforcement agent he is a sworn yeah and so we have i think it's 1717 and 955 are the two codes that we i might be wrong on that there's probably policemen right now going no that's not right um but but yeah in terms of humane treatment we we do have a couple laws that we can enforce but we have a great relationship with the uh with the sheriff we have a great relationship with the dog warden we all have we all carry the same mission so it's very collaborative when any of us find out and we have an agreement with children's services and job and family services so you know we're right now we're working on a case that we wouldn't have known had children's services not gone in for issues with the kids and we do the same for them uh, as well so lots of partnerships help drive that but the bulk the bulk of the humane agents work is is typically farming animals it doesn't really mean that, yeah it doesn't mean that he doesn't get called in on other things but that's that's typically the majority of a humane agent's work i would have known that and i would think a lot of times i guess working with a humane society like that people think dogs and cats like how do you that seems like a stretch to get the expertise into the farm animal arena so how does that work like how did you come to know the regulations for farm animals and things like that like is it something you have to study or is it yeah i mean yeah there's all sorts of areas where we need to continually be educating professional development's real important uh, in our industry as well we in fact we had a training this morning before we came over here as an entire team uh, and it had to do a lot about uh, open adoptions and and uh, and what that looks like so how we get educated i I, I think it's the discipline of the job. You know, Tony had to complete 40 hours of classroom training and eight hours of practical training. We went and sat with the judge and had a conversation about expectations of duties and had a review of sort of what they thought good service was. We partnered on what we thought that model would look like, and now we're trying to uh, to live that out for the county. But it is, it's constant. It's, it's constant, constant education. And, and again, what's nice about this industry is there's lots of resources for it so and we do have an employee now who spent her career as a zookeeper um so she has brought a lot of knowledge to that aspect of it her and tony have been working together a little bit this week actually about um what is acceptable for farm animals and not necessarily dogs and cats but things that are a little bit outside of our realm of knowledge And she raises she raises donkeys as well, so she brings some practical uh, application there. But you know we're built upon the five freedoms, and the, and that that was a, a standard of care that came about. The five freedoms came about for the benefit of farm animals. But what is uh, that? Uh, the five freedoms are uh, freedom from hunger and thirst, freedom from discomfort, freedom from illness. You know, so making sure that all the health needs are taken care of. Freedom to uh, exhibit normal behavior, which that's a really fun one uh, to talk about. And then freedom from stress and anxiety. And so Tony will look for those in mm-hmm. farm animals, but we look for those in the measure of our own care that we give uh, uh, for the animals that are under our care. And then it's also the standard that we try to educate people to at home so do you guys this is probably way off base and probably not what you guys do but like do you ever are you guys involved in the humane agent with animals that are very far outside the realm of kind of normally even house house animals or farm animals i can recall a time a police incident up in richwood one time where somebody went in and there was an alligator now, I got to think you guys don't know much about alligators out there, nor have the facilities to care for them. And it was years ago. I'm sure you weren't there. But, like, are there situations, and I even hate to bring up the lemur that was allegedly running around or things like that. If people have exotic animals or these animals that are so far out of the realm, like, do you guys have any involvement with that? Or should you come across something like that? Would you guys be involved in Something like that? Yeah, we would definitely be involved. Why don't you tell your first day, your first, first day? See, that's how it works. That's how you start telling (laughs) stories. My first day at the shelter, we actually, we got two goats in, um, and it took four police officers to wrangle each one into the pen in the back. They were very unsocialized, um, and that was way outside of anything that I had ever dealt with. Um, So we get get all kinds of things. We've had, um, I forget what kind of, some sort of lizard that could bite off your finger that was there. (laughs) Um, so I knew not to touch that one. We get all kinds of things. Um, Ferret. Yeah. Mm. We've, I know we've had horses and pigs in the past. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we've had alligators. <laughs> um, but I know our our one employee who, who worked as a zookeeper has helped with um, 
animals like that as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she would help us find those resources. I know she helped um, with a case where they had to take some exotic animals like lions and bears and all kinds of things. Wow. Um, so I think she would probably be our first resource. Yes, Cindy, <laughs> yeah, she would probably be. What, what do you do with them? What do you do with when you get a weird one? Like, how do you? Well, if you get a large one, there's a couple. Okay, you, you can actually, if you need to lay claim to the animal for misuse, you can actually do that on that person's property. There are legal things that allow if you don't have the space for it. Otherwise, we're, we're quickly scrambling for partners. But in the world of like pocket pets, guinea pigs and rabbits and things like that, we're not currently equipped to do that. I, I'm hoping before too long we can say, yes, bring us those because we know there's – but we can send you to other shelters who we know do. But, yeah, we do see odd things. We do uh, photos with Santa every year, and this was – we've had the same Santa for 17 years, and Kenny said, I, you know, I've never been bit. He said that this year, and I'm like, well, you've just assured that you're going to get bit this year. <laughs> and uh, and the thing that ended up beating, uh, biting him was a hedgehog. So, oh, my gosh. So they, the lady brought in the hedgehog. They put a little teeny Santa hat on it and uh, it was real cute but you know and we have uh, put picture? it in santa's there there a picture santa there is a picture getting bit there there's not, i think you know there actually might be i might have to go find it but i i was snapping those pictures at the time and i see him grimacing and i'm like that is a terrible smile santa and then later i find out he's getting chomped on by this by this hedgehog i know my aunt has a big black lab and she brings him out for his photos with santa yeah. every year and it's just so funny like her kids out of the house at this point but on her mantle she'll have a photo of speedy <laughs> and santa and it's like you've replaced johnny entirely <laughs> so what can you guys do speaking of an animal that might bite or something if you guys get an animal that is aggressive or something like that is is that something where you guys try to get some type of training so they're adoptable or how, how does that work when you guys get someone get an animal in like that yeah absolutely we absolutely we 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 work with them and it's our desire and i think there's a there's a lot of fear around biting i think there's a lot of misunderstanding around biting there's bite scales and i mean all you got to do is think about you get a new puppy home what does he do he chews on you right well that's a bite so you know and then there's also bites that can you know get really serious so yeah we do we immediately begin working with dogs that might show some kind of aggression but i i can tell you right now with the exception of one dog, every dog we have, I could open the gate and you'd love on it. I mean, it's just the nature. My my favorite, when when I found out we were getting the opportunity to do this, I was thinking, like, what do I want to talk about? What I want to tell you is what I, what I absolutely adore and love about this job, and I can't imagine ever getting old, is when you see the real dog come out. You get a dog that maybe is snappy or nippy during its first exam because it's terrified – and then you move 10 days ahead after working with it and it's slinging a toy around or it's curling up or it's falling at your feet or you see it's a big goofball or it's a big napper or whoever it is. And to see them relax enough and trust you enough and to know that the world isn't what it used to be for them and to see who they are is, God, is just, it never gets old. It is absolutely one of the greatest moments. So... Uh, and Audra and I, out of all the people on the staff, are we're two of the people that like, oh, you got a tough one? Like, I want in there. Like, I want to mess. I want to spend time with that. I want to win that animal uh, over. That's kind of a thing on social media now, Instagram and, and maybe TikTok, where they talk, They show, there are cer- certain people that will show, they will video that process mm-hmm. of how they, they've got an aggressive animal and they'll go in and sit down in there and and I think that is taking some of that stigma away from aggressive, quote-unquote aggressive animals that are just more terrified than anything. They show how they break down those walls. I think that probably goes a long way towards helping people understand that, like, it's not always the animal. A lot of times it's situational, and through patience and work, the real animal can come out. So that's probably – we may bemoan the ills of social media regularly on this podcast – but that is probably a, a good measure of it in that people kind of understand that 
it's not always just the nature of the animal. Yeah. Um, a lot of like the biting and stuff, it does come from fear. So we do try to foster those relationships. And um, a couple months ago, we actually got a dog back named Pumpkin, who you could not be in the same room with her. She acted like she was going to tear you apart. She actually tore off um, the, uh, what's it called? Oh, our crown molding. Yeah. In our, in our, <laughs> our conference room. In our room. conference it's room. It's now gone. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. But she got to a point after... Tim worked with her a lot, um, just sitting in there and feeding her and showing her that she can trust us. And she got to the point where she's in a home now with her sister, actually. And they, they've taken her to dog parks. She runs up to people she doesn't know now and is super friendly now that she knows she's safe and you she can trust mm-hmm. you. Yeah, people that follow our Facebook, go back and look at Pumpkin. Man, she is a lovely sweetheart. She's just a great, great dog. And, <laughs> and minus, you know, being having... Our staff, which just adores these problem animals, that that dog probably would have been lost in another scenario. So yeah, we have a board um, in the shelter with all the animals and where they are. And on pumpkins, I put a note that says she likes to redecorate. So we try to like, <laughs> make it funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do they come back a lot? I mean, um, not not a ton actually. Yeah. We try to work with people if they're having issues. Like I said, we try to. We tell them to send us updates, let us know how they're doing. And if there's any problems, we try to help them through that because um, we want the animal to stay in the home. Sometimes we'll get calls. You know, my my cat is scratching everything and I'll say, have you tried clipping its nails? Oh, I didn't know you could do that. So we'll kind of walk them through that and try to find other ways to help with that so that they can stay there and not come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Behavior is the number one reason that any animal gets returned. So anytime... We do our jobs better when we set up the behavior of the animal going out so that it's mm-hmm. better and we do better the more we're able to educate and stay connected to. We don't we, we don't want anything that we do at the shelter to be transactional. In fact, one of the things we were talking about at the training that I mentioned was how do we think about people that are walking through the door? How do we label them? Are they clients? Are they customers? No, what we figured out in that meeting, this isn't probably, but and what we figured out in that meeting was their family. They, I mean, they are, they're literally family. They're taking somebody that we love, that we've invested X number of time and emotional energy into and putting them into their home. Well, yes, now we love you because you love something that we love and you're all part of the family. So that's really how we, we're going to start labeling officially. That's how we always thought about them, but now it's the label we're giving them. And I know you guys have talked a little bit about Pumpkin or Ashley, some of these like big success stories for the dogs that you've had or I, I don't know if you've mentioned some cats you all encounter these animals every day you love them you see their stories what are some of the stories you have of like wow it still resonates yeah. with you that memorable animals and mm-hmm. I had that question too like there's got to be ones that stick or just like the perfect adoption story just things that kind of keep you going when it might be a tougher animal that you're dealing with or a discouraging situation um One that comes to mind right now is um, the dog that Tim mentioned that got hit that had to have surgery. Um, A friend of mine actually ended up adopting her, and she's going to stay at my house for the next couple days. So I'm really excited about that. Um, So that makes me happy just like knowing that we can see them and you know know they're doing well. Um, I know there's more. Well, I I, yeah I know that uh, I was uh, I was home one day and Audra called me and the first thing she said was sit down and you know it's going to be. Big news, and she tells me we 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 had a, another black pity. Whenever the black pities come in, I'm immediately worried about them. Um, uh, and she said somebody got a new home, and that it was Honda. And I had loved and inve- had invested a lot of time uh, in that dog. And she also was a lovely dog. She just it took her a long time to uh, warm up. So I don't know. That was that one. Honda was very meaningful to me. Pumpkin was very meaningful to me just because of the time. Uh, that we had to invest. Uh, Audra actually ended up adopting um, a cat that she renamed Mary. And if you follow Audra on social media, you'll see Mary attacking her wildly about the house. She just <laughs> randomly is like flying at her head and stuff. So that's a pretty warm story because Mary was special needs. She's got a little jaw deformity, and so she looks real cute and different. But you know, there's there's challenges when your when your cats drip and drool to get them into the right house. So, so Audra loves Mary. Well, I know that was, we was really good one. Last year, after taking that picture with <clears throat> Matilda and the and what was her friend? Uh, Bo. Bo. Well, yeah, Bo was Bo the old one. Yeah, Matilda and oh, I forget his name. And they both had like, like one, tumors one or had different. A tumor yeah, it's like. Mm. 
I want to say we Charlie, like, but I don't know. If oh, that was that's right. a, we were like that's got to be such a tough sell. Like it's just you know you have to really kind of want an older animal with some special needs and maybe not the cutest thing ever. You know you've you've really got to you know go that extra mile to kind of find them and you guys did like yeah. I you know and it's always crazy like I'm sure you guys know so much more about it but even seeing the photos on social media somehow it always seems like the person adopting the animal is just like that's the perfect couple like <laughs> you'll have an older dog and it's like a little old couple that's like patting the dog or a little tiny girl with a little tiny dog like I don't know how it works out so I'm sure you guys know like the background of all of it but even here in our office we're like oh my gosh like this person got this dog so yeah, it's always really sweet yeah yeah people the community gets invested in that website it's but that's smart that's what keeps it going keeps you going back to it and things like that i don't know that's yeah i guess the only other thing i have is for people who want to get involved with your mission who are really passionate about animals but maybe they don't have a home to take home an animal right now or they already have the pets that they can take care of how can they help are there a variety of different things people can do like what are the different ways that people can pitch in? Well, uh, you can volunteer. You can send an email to either to me at tim at uchspets.org, uh, or you can reach out to info at uchspets.org if you'd like to volunteer and just let us know, and we'll get you set up on that. Um, uh, I always, I haven't gotten comfortable with this, but we always need donors. We always, always, always need donors. We always need recurring donors. So even if you can give us a buck, a dollar a month, hit the website donate button. It'll say monthly or one time. Um, that is huge. And then the other is is really advocacy, helping people understand that. Um, this is a community effort. These animals are part of the families. These animals are part of. We're the third fastest growing county. In the state, I mean, we're going to get more subdivisions, more apartment complexes. That means more cats, more cat colonies, more dogs in backyards. I mean, it's we're only going to get more and more animals, and we are uh, uh, we need people that believe in the individuality and the morality of caring for this. So just talking it up uh, is a big deal. And stop by too. That's also just stop by and see us and meet some of the kittens and any of our open hours you can come and sit with kittens and anytime you want to meet any dog we'll introduce you to every dog uh, that we have there we don't let people walk the kennels it's too upsetting to the dogs but we'll if you want to meet every one of them and you got the time we'll make sure that you get to do it yeah and um if you want to participate in our events, that's a great way. Um, we do have adoption events and things, so that, that's all on our social media. And anytime you see a photo of a dog sharing it, because you, you might not be ready for that pet, but you might know of someone who, who is, and you just might not realize it. So the more eyeballs we can get on those animals, the better. And probably, I hate to, this is kind of a weird place to bring it up, but there's a thing going around social media now where there's a lot of kind of bogus found pet things going have you seen that what i'm talking about i don't exactly know how it works but it's always like someone whose profile is new and they will say an animal was found or something and like do a you, scam. yes do you know what i'm talking about have you seen mm -hmm. these there's a lot of them getting shared around and then people are like yeah that that person doesn't exist it's a it's a strange thing so i would imagine making sure that the source of the animal or, you know, the foundation. Some of them are found, some of them are adoptable is is probably really important with that too. It, it made me think of that, that I don't know why that's a scam now of all the things, but. That, that reminded me, if I can also just put in a plug there for what people can do. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody can afford an AirTag, but go out and find an organ that there's lots and lots of companies where you can, you can track your animals real time. Um, so you can follow them on your phone or whatever it is. If you have the, the means to do that, I think there's one called Tracker and maybe 50 bucks initially and then like five bucks a month or something like that to be able to, if you can afford that, that's wildly successful in finding lost pets. We chip every animal that leaves, um, but chipping is a longer term finding strategy. It's really those trackable tags. I was going to mention that, that people think that chipping an animal is a tracking 
measure and it's right. identification only right. when they're found. Right. And and a lot of times too, the discipline, what I think people also don't realize is that chip is only going to take you back to the last person that bothered to register it. So if you're moving or if your animal's moving, be mindful of the fact that that chip information needs to follow uh, as well. A county tag helps return uh, a dog. If a dog shows up on our doorstep and it has a tag or a chip, we will hold it for 10 days before we'll lay legal ownership to it. If it doesn't, that's three days. So think about that extra seven days. If you lost that pet, just doing it allows us another week uh, to try to to try to find you. So um, those are really, really big uh, issues for, you know, our, our greatest success is no animal gets away from any home. And the, those are two of the ways that it happens. Um, so if you're, to, oh, two, so I'm so sorry. This is just, <laughs> this, just <laughs> this is important. That's stuff. what it's for. Yeah. So if your dog gets gone, and I wish I had cat data on this, I don't, but I know if your dog gets gone in the first 48 to 72 hours, it's within a mile of the house. And everybody will say, oh no, it's miles away. It's been, it's, it's, it's had hours and hours to run. Statistically speaking, regardless of the breed, it's likely within a mile of your home. So the best thing you can do if you lose your dog is yes, let us know. And we'll let the dog warden know, or, you know, we'll, we'll put out our feelers, but you need to get in a car. You need to find out who's your influencer, who's the person in your neighborhood that knows what's going on and go and knock on that door and make that a case for them. Put signs up on telephone poles, those things that you think are goofy. It matters in the first 48 to 72 hours and get out and look, drive, even though you think they could be miles and you don't know where they are, assume they're within a mile and start creating concentric circles and do your search that way and let us know at the same time. I know somebody that found their cat by telling the mailman. That's they told awesome. the mailman, and the mailman found it. That's I love that. About ten houses down, love in that. A bush. Yeah, the more people who yeah. know, the more yeah. likely you are mm-hmm. to find them. I would have never thought of a mailman. This girl <laughs> told the mailman, and the same day, the mailman found the cat. That's fantastic. <laughs> love that story. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be the show for this week. We appreciate Audra and Tim from the Union County Humane Society coming in to talk to us. As they mentioned in the show, there are a variety of ways you can get some more information about the Humane Society. You can either uh, look on uchspets.org or you can check out their social media pages and search Union County Humane Society. And we'll have more information and links in our show notes below. We would also like to encourage people to check out the Cutest Pets calendar. Uh, The Marysville Journal Tribune partners with the Union County Humane Society uh, to put out a Cutest Pets calendar uh, for Union County Pets. Uh, Those are available online or at the Marysville Journal Tribune office or at the Humane Society uh, for purchase. And all proceeds go to the Humane Society. So we appreciate all the support. The Humane Society appreciates it as well. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Axio and Energia, for sponsoring the podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure and follow the show. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and lots of other places where podcasts are available. So be sure to tune into the show next week, and we'll see you on Thursday.